Today we have the first of a three-part series where we dissect the growth and sale of an IT consulting business. In this episode, we talk in depth with Sam DeLongis, the man who built this business from the ground up, from a startup two decades ago to a company with more than 300 staff, which eventually sold to a listed entity. If you like a good story about the roller coaster ride of business and how to ride out adversity and turn it into a beautiful exit into retirement, join me in this episode of The Deal Room. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. It's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to The Deal Room Podcast, brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Today, we start a new podcast series with Sam DeLongis, founder of the IT consulting company, Trilogy Resources. I had the pleasure of working with Sam when he sold his business back in 2012, and he is literally one of my favorite clients of all time. Our new series with Sam comes in three parts. These three episodes each feature a distinct phase in the business cycle, and each of these episodes contain important but slightly different lessons about growing and selling a business. Before I dive into my discussion with Sam, I think it's worth me talking a little bit more about the background to this episode. Sam established his business in 1988 and through the next 24 years built it from a startup to a business with more than 300 staff and was awarded the Best Candidate Management Program during the Recruitment Excellence Awards in 2010. Sam did this while weathering a number of serious storms in his business, but with a lot of grit and determination and some clever strategies to boot, the business made it through to the other side to thrive. In Sam's final years before his sale, he set about strategically readying the business for exit, with a result of lining up multiple keen buyers so that he then had the advantage of being able to choose the buyer that was the best fit. So Sam's story in this three-part series is an inspiring tale for anyone who is currently stuck in the trenches of business building or who is working hard to create a happy exit. In part one, which is this episode, Sam and I discuss his growth strategies, how he dominated a tactical position in a government panel for contracts in Perth, and why this strategy was important in building for the sale of his business. We then talk about how he came to the decision of exiting the business, and we dig into the thought process and motivations behind this conclusion. In part two, we'll drill into Sam's insights in the business sale process and how he prepared himself and his business for sale. And finally, in part three, we come full circle as we chat with Sam about life after sale. So if you are after an inspiring and practical story, don't go anywhere. Here we go. Did you have a strong strategy about how to grow your company? I mean, you've already talked about it being sort of organic and slow and stable growth. And are you the sort of person who sits down and does a, okay, this is what we're looking like in five years' time and 10 years' time, or did it just evolve? No, I never sat down with any of that. uh, (laughs) I love it, Sam. I absolutely love it. (laughs) Yeah. 
No, no, never, never smart enough to do that. Um, no, no, no. Look, I mean, I, you know, again, it was just the same thing. Just do the best you can do, and um, you know, it always just trying to do the best you can do. So I never really had um, a plan or a vision to, you know, hit a particular goal or whatever. Um, what I did do is that I, I worked out a long time ago that in business and and in life, personal life. When you're at a point where you think you're doing okay and you're in a cushy situation, you're actually not. You're going backwards. And it's very, very true in business. You're either going forwards or you're going backwards. And to think that you've arrived at some plateau, which is you know, where you always want to be, I think it's rubbish. And um, so particularly in, in – look, uh, having said that, I think I'm at a plateau now in retirement, but I think I can allow myself that sort of luxury. <laughs> I think right so, now, Sam. Right I now. think so. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but at any other time, and particularly in business, you need to be you need to be going forward. And and how you do that, whether you measure it by money or whether you measure it by achievement or whether you measure it by number of people or something or whatever, you, you've got to have you know some sort of measure. And that can be soft measures. We never had any hard measures. But the the, the gross part, I guess, is probably the period from about two thousand and five till when I sold in 2012. And that coincided with two things. Um, one was, you know, in 2000, uh, the end of 2000, I bought out uh, my other partner. So there's three of us originally by this point. So now I was on my own from uh, 2001. Mm. And then we fell in that hole from about 2001 to 2005 where the market was bad. So I was now completely free to, to do the type of things that I wanted to do. And so that was a bit of a difference. There was an opportunity, and that opportunity came on the actual uh, recruitment side of the business, and where we were able to get onto a major government panel. Mm. And um, the the way I probably won't go into it too much, but the way this panel worked, there was an opportunity. First of all, look, Perth is sort of a two horse town. It's either government or mining, <laughs> and um, well, that's what I reckon it is. Anyway, people might tell you different, but it is. <laughs> and and the story was the government had decided that on the recruitment side that they were going to go out to this panel, you know, a PSA type preferred supplier um, panel agreement. And um, so what that really meant, and they were going to reduce these panels down to to five players, to five companies. And what that really meant was 50% of the work, you know, in Perth um, on the recruitment side, providing external resources, which is what this was really all about, contractors. That, that market was going to be closed down to, you know, 99% of the, of, of, of the companies around wow. town because there was only going to be five people. So I saw that as a real serious threat to the business that we were in, right? So, um, the, so the first decision, the strategic decision was when that opportunity arose was we have to get onto this panel at, at all costs, at absolutely all costs. So that was a very, very clear decision. Sat with my senior guy and said, look, we have, we have got to do this. We cannot afford to pretty much be locked out of government since it's such a, a you know, huge supplier and a conduit for, for contractors and people, you know, in IT, if we're going to stay in IT. So that was the first decision. The second one was then, you know, figure out how to get onto this panel and then could we get on. We were a very, very small company at that time. And um, and and in reality, uh, of the five people that got on, we were one of the, we were one of them. All the others were, were large, 
couple of very very large uh, local companies, and uh, and the rest were you know uh, Australia wide very very large recruitment companies. So we were the only we were very much the fly in the ointment here. And so, how did you do it, Sam? Tell us how you did it. How did I do it? Well, we got well, we got on the panel. We 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 told a good story, and and we also. Ironically, whether that was part of it, I, I think we had a good reputation around town, but also it turned out that we had the lowest price on this panel as well, right? So that was definitely uh, definitely something that was crucial, price. And look, with all government departments, regardless of what they tell you, the price is always the, is always the thing. So we got on that. So that was great. My second dilemma was that, that was wonderful. We celebrated. I thought, great, at least we're on, right? Now, right? How the hell we're going to make money at, at, this, <laughs> at this level, right? Um, but that was a, that was a, but that was that. But that's the second part of the problem. The, the first part, <laughs> in anyone, people, people, people get ahead of themselves, right? Especially when there's panel yeah. or tender situations. The first story is all other arguments become academic if you don't get on. Yeah. So that the first story is you you need to get on. And in this case here, whilst we were on it, I thought, well, the risk is not all that bad because if we perform badly, there was no, there was no, it's not something if you're writing software where you commit yourself to a price and then, and then, you know, you can literally end up losing your house and your whole business if it's a fixed price quote. This, this was a panel. So I thought, you know, we, we've got to, you know, I mean, I, I, I felt that we were genuine about the price that we put up. And, and that we could do it, but uh, but I wasn't sure. And and the reality, I was justified in the fact that the other five players that got on the panel, we were all within. This was a flat hourly rate thing, but we were all within about fifty cents of each other of really? who got on this panel. So it was, wow. yes, it was. It was that. It was that damn close that Gosh. people don't realise it, but it was. So so our quote was spot on. You know, to to get on. So I thought I felt justified about that. Yeah. And I think the other people who got on realised that as well because there was a lot of other large companies who had put prices that just weren't going to work. Wow. And um, so, so so we got the price right. But then I thought, well, all right, well, you know, how are we going to make this work? And I thought, well, I, that, you know, can we make a profit? I hope, I hope so. I think if we get <laughs> enough people, we can probably make it work. And then what was happening at the time, I think at that same time, the mining started to pick up a bit. So... What happened here, a lot of the companies who were on these panels decided, I think, to chase the mining more than this government contract that they had. And and I saw an opportunity here. This this contract was such that whilst there's five people on the panel, normally governments always go out and get three quotes for everything, and, mm. and typically they'll go for the lowest quote. Mm. In this particular case, the, the, the margins were fixed anyway. Mm. But um, it was unprecedented in the fact that for the first time in their life, they actively encouraged the government clients to pick someone from this panel. And if they found that they could develop a business relationship with these people, and if they found they were getting good service, they didn't have to go out to the other four people on the panel. All right. Yeah, that was a real light bulb moment for me. I just said, oh, God, this is absolutely fantastic. If we get in, and do what we normally do and provide a really, really top service. These guys are not bound by the normal government rules of having to go out and get two other quotes from other people. We can genuinely have a, a normal business um, sort of relationship where, you know, they'll just keep coming to us and, and, and it's, it's genuine. They don't have to justify they can do this. And that was a real game changer. So I said to myself, whether we can or can't make money on this panel, we need to be the first people to try 
to see if we can make money. So I made a strategic decision that we would pursue this very, very strongly while the other players were, you know, off, you know, um, taking advantage of the mining industry. So we did this and we, we ended up being quite successful. It worked. We gave these guys really, really good service and uh, the other people were not giving them as much service because, again, driven solely by, you know, short term making money for this year sort of philosophies, I guess, they were off chasing the money somewhere else where we were more in this is an opportunity I think that we can do really, really well at if we get on the ground early and one day when these guys wake up, I found out that most of the times when people wake up to an opportunity, the opportunity's already gone by, yeah. right? And so I thought whilst it's under the covers, let's get out there, really build us up and we'll be the first people to find out whether we can make a profit or not. And if we don't make a profit, we'll pull out and the other guys can find out for themselves, you know, but, but in the meantime, let's do it. So, so we did that and we did find that we were able to make a profit. And um, once people started to realize that we dominated this panel, I mean, in the end, before I sold, we were probably had over 75% share of the revenue coming through this panel. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and by the time people woke up, because they saw us doing well, they thought, oh, there must be some money in it. Of course, by the time you try to get on board, it's too late. It's like, you know, when someone tells you, hey, go and buy the share, buy it now, buy it now. Well, normally it's at the peak and you buy it and then two days later it goes down. <laughs> As we're seeing in the share market at the moment. <laughs> well, exactly, 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 exactly. And I found that this was the same in business. When someone starts telling you this is the new hot thing to get on board, yeah, the real people got on board five years ago and, and it's only the turkeys who come looking around for an easy feed <laughs> that think that you're going to get it now. So, so that was the strategy and, and, look, that worked out, you know, very, very well. That, that was a, a definite and deliberate decision to pursue this thing because I saw something that could work if we put the right amount of it. And we were vindicated by the fact that, you know, we people would ring us because they knew they could get good candidates. They knew they got exceptional service. And under normal circumstances, if you looked at it externally, you'd say, would you give this amount? Of, would you do it for the rates were so, so low? But, you know, at the end, um, as you probably mentioned before, we, we ended up having uh, just around about the 300 subcontractors on our books. So um, we, we were able to grow quite dramatically in, um, in, in, in that time. And in fact, we won a couple of awards, etc. Let's take a short break. When we get back, we'll talk about the importance of flexibility in business and learning to adapt to the changing trends, particularly in the area of technology. And finally, we close out this episode with a discussion of how Sam came to the conclusion of deciding to retire. And that's next. This is Joanna Oki, and you're listening to The Deal Room Podcast, brought to you by the commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. interested in hearing smart legal tips for business, the Deal Room sister podcast, Talking Law, is perfect for you. These two podcasts are now among the top legal podcasts in Australia. 
In our Talking Law podcast, I dissect a different topic each week that I have seen impact businesses, and I then provide actionable tips for you to avoid that risk or to use that legal area to your advantage. We release new episodes every 10 days, and you can listen to our episodes through www.talkinglaw.com.au or subscribe to our Talking Law podcast on iTunes to be the first to know when a new episode is out. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Earlier, Sam talked to us about the amazing story behind how he grew his business organically. He also talked about the importance of being able to see opportunities as they arise and getting on the ground early. Now, let's pick up our conversation with Sam and drill into the importance of not rushing in too quickly when making business decisions. We'll also talk about the concept of flexibility in business and learning to adapt to changes, particularly in the area of technology. Then we'll close out the episode with a discussion on how Sam finally decided to retire. There were obviously, you know, there was a long time invested in building up the foundation of the business and and obviously you weathered a few storms. Yes, absolutely. But you backed yourself at the time that you needed to, I guess. You know, you had this hunch, you backed yourself even though... Yes. I I guess it could have gone either way, but I guess if it went the wrong way, then you just would have (laughs) built yourself up and then, you know, found the next thing. But, But I think part of it is about backing yourself, you know? I agree. No, well, that's true. I've never been, that's probably one of the other things I mentioned earlier. I'm not scared of long hours, hard work. And I'm also not scared about, I consider myself to be, you know, average and and I'm not scared to, I do think a lot before I make a decision. I'm not volatile in making decisions. I think about them quite a bit. And and then when I get to a conclusion, then I'll act on it fairly quickly because it's all done. You know, the, the groundwork has been done then when you see the opportunity, you need to jump on it. But I, I don't make emotional decisions, you know, and that typically that I regret. Um, I, I will think long and hard uh, about it. But, yeah, look, I've got – and it's only over the years. that uh, It was never always like this. But, yeah, I have developed quite comfortable in backing myself. I'll, I'll take the responsibility, I guess. It's, look, uh, this is the way I see it. If you see it better, that's great. But this is the way I see it. I'll go for it. And if it falls over, I'm happy to cop it in the neck. It's okay. I'm not going to bitch about it. I'm not going to groan about it. And, you know, move on, move on, learn from it, and move on and try something else. But you, you, you've got to give it a go because otherwise – but, you know, some people just rush in too quick. Yeah. And I think don't think things through. Maybe because of my IT background, you think a lot about things. You know, when you're programming and doing things, it's – there's, there's, it's, it's black and white. It's either yes or no, it's on or off. And so, um, um, you know, I, I look at it hard before I make the decision. An element of flexibility also helps as well, right? <laughs> but, well, you have to be flexible. Well, I think, well, I think if you're in IT or anything like that, you know, where the thing is growing every year, it's, it's a new playing field, things move, and you've got to constantly adapt and change. Yeah. And if you're not a person who likes to adapt and change, then, then you're going to be dead. You know, you're one of these guys who's sitting there, oh, you know, I didn't see it coming, you know, oh, you know, we, we can't make, you know, things have changed. Well, you should have changed around it. You know, yes. like at no point, 
if if it's moving, if the business is moving in a different direction, or you see it, you, you've got it. Well, you either adapt, change, or, or you or you fall behind. But I think being in IT, I don't know. I, I sort of yeah, things were always changing, and that was part of the interesting thrill of it, I guess. I, I think it's such a good comment because every business now, you know, is in that that realm that IT was, uh, you know, whilst you were growing your business, which is we're in a period of incredible flux and change. So yes, I think, yes. you know, it's so applicable to everyone now, not just IT. <laughs> no, not just IT. Well, I, I see people, you know, go on about, you know, online sales and you've got a brick and mortar store and it's not doing so well, you know, just get over it. That's this, You're still in the business of selling goods. You need to adapt as to how goods are sold today. There's no point sitting there and bitching and saying nobody wants to come to the family store anymore. You know, you're in the business of selling goods and just work out what that is now in today's market. You know, so you can't just sit there and say, well, it's changed around me. Well, you know, bad luck. <laughs> Within, it's within. You. No, I have no sympathy. I have no sympathy. I love it, genuine. Sam. <laughs> well, because you've got to. You can't just sit there and just say it's changed. Yeah. Well, you should have been. You should have been changing with it. You know, like it's just the way it is. Absolutely. And so then let's let's talk about, you know, moving into the exit of the business. So you, you mentioned before that you really only came up with the idea of, you, you know, an exit fairly close to the time that you did sell. Yes. About a, a year or so, did you say, before the sale? Yeah. And that, that 12 months was probably that period that I was saying to you, I don't make decisions, you know, quickly. Yeah. And in throughout that time, the, the, the motivation, I guess, was let's okay. I never had this concept of retirement. I never really understood what it meant. I never really understood the concept of uh, not working and expecting to have money to live in roughly the same lifestyle as you were when you were working. And the concept of not working never really occurred to me either. You know, having seen my father having to work all his life and the sacrifices that he did. So the retirement thing was uh, was never something that I had ever sort of considered. And whilst you have people spending, you know, all their life just about, you know, I can't wait till I retire, I can't wait till I retire. <laughs> I never I I never had that thing. I my intent was to just continue to work and I never really thought about how one day when I would not work. Yes. But but over the years a few people started saying to me, Oh, how old are you now, Sam? You know, and I said, Well, you know and, and I'd been around the industry a while, obviously, knew a lot of people in person. <laughs> And, you know, I must be getting close to retirement age. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I was 61, 62 or something. So, oh, really? I thought, no, I never really thought about it. I, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't, in my head, I, I guess I was, I knew I always had at least another five, ten years. So, you know, like, whatever. I don't know. I, ne- I never thought about it. Never, never. As I said, you know, we had a quick discussion before recording this podcast. You know, I think when I first met you, and you were well down the path of, you know, uh, of sale when we when we first met um, in your office yes. in Perth all those years ago. But I recall my first thoughts after meeting you was, wow, you know, fabulous meeting. I I really enjoyed meeting you. I knew at that point that you, you had this great story about your business, but I left thinking, Sam. Sam is not going to sell, you know, because I just got this feeling for you that you couldn't see yourself in retirement. And um, you were well down the path at that time, but I just couldn't. <laughs> the feeling I got from you was you weren't someone that was ready to retire. <laughs> no, well, well, that's because, you know, reluct- not reluctantly, but 
the story was I didn't have to, I didn't have to retire, and that was just the thing. And I think that probably helped me in the negotiation thing as well. I mean, as I said to the guys at the time, um, I don't have to sell if I don't want to. Like if things don't, if I don't get the deal that I want, I'll pull out of it. And I was quite genuine because I could easily see another five, ten years of stuff that that we could have done and continue to do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I didn't have to. So it was purely a decision, I guess, from the head and not the heart. I mean, from the heart, I could have had the passion and the drive and the desire to continue to work for five, ten years, whatever the hell. But I I guess the the thing, uh, probably people saying to you, you know, oh, you must be getting close to retirement. I go, no. But (laughs) after about the tenth time, you think, is there something in this? (laughs) Um, you know, I just started to uh, think about a couple of things and, and um, I did, and this certainly wasn't significant, but I did have a brother who, an older brother who passed away at the age of 60 um, uh, a few years before uh, with a massive heart attack at the age of 60. And so I'd just gone past 61, I think, at that point. And, um, and I just thought, you know, I, I did an exercise when... When I was 37, when I started Trilogy, I did an exercise, actually, not on paper, just in my head, projecting 10 years out and where would I be and what would my life look like and and uh, what would I do? And, it, and, it, and that's when I left Mount Newman. And the conclusions that came at that point was that whilst I was earning top money and I was in the top 10 earners, I looked at it and said, in the next 10 years, can I see myself, if my car packs up, can I ever see myself buying a new car? The answer was no. Can I ever see ourselves going on an overseas holiday? The answer was no. Can I ever see? There's a whole bunch of things, you know, and I thought, you know, even though I'm doing well, I, I need to do better for what I want to do for my family. I want my kids to have things and my wife to have things. And, and that was sort of, and because the work, they changed the the work the way it was and, you know, I was going to end up sort of sitting in a corner and didn't want that. And that's <laughs> the decision I made then to, to leave. And for the second time in my life, I found myself, doing this same thing in my head at that point, um, saying, well, what's the next 10 years going to look like? And so, um, you know, I was coming up to 62, and I thought, right, so 10 years, I'll be 72. Will I be alive? Uh, will I be healthy? Will whatever, um, what about all these things the wife and I kept talking about, you know, we'd like to do more travelling. And, and I was, with the business, I was sort of, I couldn't get away more than about two weeks at a time. You know, it was always a hassle. So I looked at all those things and sort of thought, well, when are, when are we going to do those things? And the, the biggest um, reason was that I, I, it was difficult to to get away to make it happen. So, um, and I and I also came to the conclusion that we were never going to do the travel and we're never going to be able to do all these things unless I was had more time. So I did a, a bit of an attempt to say, well, why don't I cut back uh, a little bit? Maybe try to four days a week and have a day off, right? And then that might be the way to do it, you know, and eventually let my business development manager or someone take on more responsibilities. So I looked at that and I tried that. The first time I did that, um, my wife was fairly used to me working back late. Um, <laughs> but, this partic- but this particular time, you know, I'd get home about 7 o'clock or something. But right. um, this particular time, anyway, it was a Friday night and I decided I was going to have that Monday off. So we're going to trial this four-day-a-week thing. Yeah. So anyway, I get a phone call from my wife she tells me it was 10 o'clock at night and I'm at the office and she goes, and she goes, where are you? I said, I'm at the office. Said, what are you doing there? I said, well, well, you know, I've got, got Monday off, right? She goes, yeah. Well, I said, I've got to clear my desk for Monday. I've got stuff I've got to... 
I, and I did that for a few times, but the reality of life was I was just getting an extra sort of eight hours of work in on Friday night instead of Monday yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah. The bottom line is it wasn't, it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to work. And at that point, I got to the point where I realized this is either full on or full off. I either need to be here, and if I need to be here, I need to be here full time, or I need to completely get out of it 100%. And that was the time when I then thought, because when am I going to do this travel? And as I said, I had another couple of new grandkids coming on. And I've always spent a lot of time with my my own children and my grand, always have done. You know, I mean, I didn't have too many hobbies or, or things because I, I love my family. And that's when I wasn't working, that's I wanted to do was spend time with family, which I did. So my family have never missed out or there's never any, you know, problems on that side. But, you know, I wanted to spend more time with grandkids, wanted to do more travel, wanted to get a little bit fitter. So, and I thought, you know, I, I need to do this because, and it needs to be full on, full off. And that's when then the opportunity for selling the business sort of became a little bit more real, okay? Because I thought, well, that's the only way, because these next 10 years, which we're in right now, are the golden years for me. All these other things that you said you were going to do, I realized I'd never get to do them if I was working full time. That was the conclusion then that said, okay, we should, and I, I became aware for the first time in my life, that the business had real value, mainly because of this 75% dominance on this, on this sort of government panel. So that was the conclusion as to why. Well, that's it for this episode with Sam DeLongis. Now, if you're interested in learning more about Sam's story, you might want to tune in to our earlier episodes where Sam discusses how he started his business and weathered a few storms during two particular downturns in his business. You can listen to this episode on our sister podcast, Talking Law, by heading over to www.talkinglaw.com.au and looking out for episode 49. Or you can head over to your podcast player on your iPhones or Stitcher for Android and search for Talking Law, episode 49. We'll also be linking our show notes to the Talking Law page as well for that episode. Now, if you like what you heard today, please pop over to podcasts on your iPhones or Stitcher for Android and subscribe to the Deal Room podcast to be the first to know when a new episode is out. This episode is part one of our three-part series with Sam. So join us again next week as we continue our conversation in part two, where we talk to Sam about the sale process, how he got his business sale ready, and the importance of putting yourself in the shoes of the buyer and ensuring opportunities for them to get great value out of the business. At Aspect Legal, we offer a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition and get transaction ready. We also have a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. So thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oakey and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspected Legal. See you next time. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. That will conclude this evening's entertainment. 
Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Thank you.